Today's sermon text is Luke 3, verses 1 through 20. It can be found in the Bible in the rack in front of you on page 858. Hear the word of the Lord. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Atyria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. And said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all their questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stand forever. Good morning. Let's turn now in prayer as we look to God's word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we all, and I maybe above all, acknowledge that apart from your spirit working through your word, we hear ourselves. We have very little, if not nothing, to give. So we pray this morning that by your spirit, you would show us Christ. And in light of him, you would show us ourselves. 
And you would show us the grace that you have poured out and made available, shown to us. And now, Lord, would you make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm I'm not a news junkie. I, I worked with a guy for a while who just like every day he would give me the news that I needed, and so I I was just reliant upon him. That's not the case anymore. But I, there was like this brief period where I felt like I and maybe the rest of the world was just kind of I had I had to listen to the news. So in March of 2020, along with almost everybody else, I was trying to keep up with which states had declared emergencies and. What events were being shut down? I was an associate pastor at a church. We were trying to decide what's going to happen at our own church as the news kind of unfolded. It was it was a tough time, and news felt really heavy for months on end. And in the midst of that barrage of heavy news and the conversations that Laura and I would have about the news, there was this short little web series that came out uh, one day. Just I found it, I think, on Twitter. And it went viral really quickly. It was called Some Good News. Um, the actor John Krasinski, he put together this 10 or 15 minutes worth of clips of he just said, we just need some good news. Just unadulterated, happy little things. And most of it was, you know, small acts of kindness that people were doing that were either sent in to him or that he found on social media and just cobbled together to say there's there's some good happening out there, too. Uh, one of my favorite clips, I, this is either the first or second episode, there was this little girl who was supposed to go see her favorite Broadway show, Hamilton, and it was, can't, her, you know, they'd been planning this for months, they paid lots of money to go see it, it was canceled, and she had, he had this little girl on the show, and all of a sudden Lin-Manuel Miranda, the director of the play, pops up, and he says, you know, I really wish you could come see it, and then all the rest of the cast pops up and they just start singing to her. It's a feel-good story. I like those stories. That was a, just a little bit of good news in the midst of really heavy time. And I, uh, we, we enjoyed it so much, we kind of made that part of our weekly routine. Let's sit down and, and just have some good news over 15 minutes. Now, I'm, I'm sure everybody is thankful that we're not watching like the heavy news of March 2020 today, but I think that the reason so many people like that is that John Krasinski was tapping into something that's kind of universally true. That we all want, we all desperately want to hear some good news. Uh, if you're, if you watch the news today, you listen to a podcast, whatever it is, you're oftentimes going to find like the big news stories of the day, but there's also the human interest story. You know what I mean? Like in the local news, it's just like, here's all the stuff and at the very end, the fair is coming to town, and here's a video clip of a monkey riding a dog. Like that's that'll make me laugh, and I'll go out with a little happiness on the end of the program. We we all want some of that kind of levity in the midst of heaviness, and maybe that's you today. Maybe today you'd feel like I could really use some good news. Well, I I want to tell you, I think that if that is you, if you say I really want some good news, I think you've, I would tell you, I think you've come to the right place. Uh, we want to, as a church, every week proclaim the gospel in what we sing, in what we pray, in what we preach. You may hear us use that word a lot. It's a churchy kind of word, but the word itself simply means good news. We want to be good news 
people. And today I have good news from you, for you from this text. And I've been praying that you would hear it and cling to it this morning. So let's, uh, we're going to jump just straight into the text. You'll see on your note sheet that there are four main points that if you grab one of the note sheets on the way in, if not, you don't have to have that. You can just pay attention as we go. But four main points today. And we're going to start with John's good news. John's good news. So this passage looks at the ministry of John the Baptist, and it does that with two kinds of lenses. If you're a photographer or something, it does like a telephoto kind of lens in the middle. So verses 7 through 17, it zooms in on specific words, on interactions that John has with other people. But then the frame, kind of the beginning and the end of the text, is more like a fisheye lens. You know, or like a panoramic shot. It's trying to show you in big picture, here is what John's ministry is like. So I want to start actually with that panoramic view. And if you would look at the very end of the passage at verse 18, just listen to how John, uh, how his ministry is described by Luke. Okay, verse 18. So with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. Okay, there you have it. Okay, don't take my word for it. John is a good news preacher. And then if you jump back to the beginning of the chapter, that's 18 is like way high view from outer space. This is what we could say John's, uh, John's message is good news. We get this slightly longer summary of his message in the first few verses. So verses 1 and 2, they give a bit of historical context to situate John. Luke lists a whole host of people. He lists the Caesar, who is the the Roman emperor of the time. He lists several governors. He lists the high priests. But the main action and the the force of this verse is at the very end of verse 2. Luke Luke lists all those people and kind of gives us time and people. But the force he wants us to see is at the end of verse 2. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. There is, uh, there's potentially like a whole sermon's worth of material here, but just give me a brief pastoral aside. Sometimes the most important news is not happening at the level of the most important people. For, for all of the, the people who are named up top, our eyes should be focused on the word of God coming to this prophet out in the wilderness. And if I just want to press that a little bit on you, church, we are in an election year now where a lot of our attention is focused on men and women vying for a place in Washington. And I don't want you to hear me that that's unimportant. That is important. It matters. But of infinite more importance for your life and for my life is how the word of the Lord is working in us, through us. It's more important to see how God's word is working rather than who will have a job in Washington at the end of this year. Okay, so the word of the Lord comes to John and he carries out his ministry. You see in verse three, this proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that kind of ministry shouldn't surprise us. We heard that announcement from Gabriel earlier in Luke 1, 16 and 17. But even long before the angelic announcement to John's father, hey, this is the ministry that John is going to have, we're told here that Isaiah actually gave a pronouncement of what his ministry would be like. God told the prophet Isaiah he was going to send a messenger who would prepare the way of the Lord. You heard it read earlier by Rebecca in Isaiah 40. 
And Luke quotes it for us here at length in verses 4 through 6. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Again, that's like, I think that's good news. All flesh seeing Lord prepare for the Lord's coming. If anything is good news, it's that God comes Prepare the way. Okay, so that's like the 30,000 foot view. That's the fisheye lens of John's ministry. He's a preacher of good news, preparing the way of the Lord. But as you heard the passage read, and then you hear this good news, I wonder if you feel just a bit of tension. Because John's good news has a bite to it as well. And that really leads to a question. Just point two here. Why does the good news, verse 18 says John is preaching, why does the good news sound so bad? Just look down again at verses 7 through 9. If if you don't think it's bad news, listen to to this and tell me how you would maybe characterize this. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What happened? (laughs) What happened to good News. How can this kind of message that Luke says is good news ring so bad? Well, let, let me let me point out just two reasons in the text. I want to kind of point you to the text why this negative announcement has to be part of the good news. Okay, first is that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. So in verse 7, John says that there is wrath that will come. Verse 9, he, if, if you, we've, uh, we've read and gone through Isaiah, so several verses here. If you go back, you can jot this down. It's not on your notes. But if you want to go back and look at some place like Isaiah chapter 5, uh, God there calls Israel his vineyard. He talks about how he planted it, how he took care of it, how he watered it. And then he said he looked for fruit and it bore wild grapes. It did not bear the fruit it was meant to. And the consequences are that he's going to raise it. That's kind of the background here. That's what John is saying here. A tree that does not bear fruit, just as Israel had not done in the past, just like these people are at at threat of not doing, is eventually cut down and it's only used for firewood. And we don't know when that coming judgment will fall. I was talking with someone earlier today about you don't know when that's going to happen. Which lends this message urgency. Even now, he says, the axe is laid to the root. It's like a lumberjack has taken aim and all he has to do is swing. Judgment is coming. And second reason why this bad sounding news must be said is that our excuses won't exempt us from that judgment. 
Uh, John, as he says this kind of stuff to, he gives this message to the people right in front of him, a, a Jewish audience almost certainly, and he sees the wheels turning in the crowd. They're Jewish. God has made promises to Abraham to give them a land, to give them a people as numerous as the stars, to bless them. He has called them my people. And so they think, we, this doesn't make sense. God has promised us this. If you want to talk about judgment to the Gentiles, that's fine. We believe that. We'll rejoice in that. But not us. But John says, don't even start. Don't even go there. Your lineage will not excuse you from this judgment. It didn't excuse Israel before you from going into exile. It hasn't excused Israel at the time of Luke writing this being under Roman occupation. And it will not stop now. Your excuses will not exempt you from this judgment. God himself can raise up children from the most unlikely of places to fulfill his promises. So uh, imagine with me like a modern day illustration. I live, uh, Laura and I live in a house that was built in 1930. And one of our, uh, Jeremy Bolton is a church member here. He's been in our, our home many times. He's in construction. Let's just say that one day Jeremy is over and he's taken a step and feels something that he's like, that's a little concerning. Uh, and he sees a little crack on our wall and says, hey, I, would it be okay if I just went and looked in the crawl space? Would that be all right with you? Uh, and he, he goes down and comes back up and says, well, um, I have some news for you. I found the source of the crack and I know why your floors feel a little squishy and it, your your house is not just like needs a little work, but it's ready to fall. That's not happened, by the way. Just not, this is an example. OK, you need to get out. You can come live with us. We can find a place to put you, but you need to get out of this house if you care about your safety. I, I could look at, at Jeremy and say, well, Jeremy, thank you for for your uh, news. Uh, we have a home warranty, so. I think we're really fine. If something happens, I'm just going to call someone. Uh, and also, I know who built this house. I, I looked up the records. They were very reputable. So thanks for your concern. Don't worry about it. My friend Jeremy, if he is my friend, would look at me and say, I do not care about your home warranty. I do not care about who built your house. I can see it now. And you need to get out. That, that would be the loving thing. That's maybe not a perfect illustration, but that news that is serious and dire and urgent, it's looking out for my good. He is giving it to lead me to life. And it is a kindness if somebody says, your house is about to fall and all the things that you think are going to keep you safe will not. That is a kindness from my friend. And that is the ministry of John the Baptist, and it's still an essential part of the Christian proclamation of good news today. We, I said this earlier, and I believe this, we have the best news in the world. You can be forgiven of sin, and you can be made right with God so that you have eternal life with him. That is the promise of the scripture. And it does not get better than that. But the good news only comes after the bad news. 
And the bad news is that there is certain judgment that is coming. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. And apart from Christ, that judgment that is coming is not something that we look forward to. Apart from Christ, if you want to trace kind of the logic that you see in Romans, uh, we have that judgment lands on us. So Romans 3.23, these are some that even your, your kids, many of them will know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And trace that out to Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And the, what we realize, kind of where all this leads, is that apart from Christ, sin means that judgment comes and every excuse we want to run to will not save us. There are a host of excuses we can give to kind of blunt that edge and uh, maybe you have given some of these or heard them. I have grown up, I've, I've always been in church. I was baptized when I was eight years old. My dad was a pastor. His father before him was a missionary. I'm good. None of these are sufficient. None of these are sufficient to save you and I from the certain judgment that is to come. And that should lead us to the next question and the longest point of the sermon. If judgment is coming and my kind of natural born excuses, the things that I want to cling to, to exempt me from judgment, if those don't do then to borrow a line from verse 10 what then shall we do what next or or as i have it there on your notes what does the good news mean for me how do i get in on the good news and in a word repent repent that's what you see back up in verse 3 where john proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins it's been verse 8 as well He tells the crowds who have come out to him, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So I I want us to see clearly from this text what repentance is and why it is vital. Vital as in life-saving, life-changing. And we should start with a definition of repentance. It's kind of a churchy word. Uh, Granted, I'm a pastor and I spend most of my life talking about churchy things, but I don't know like that it's normal parlance in other places. Uh, so let's, let's just try to define what is repentance. Uh, the Greek, there is a, a word for it in the Greek. It just means to change one's mind, which is a good start on that. But I do like here how theologian Wayne Grudem, he kind of fills this out. Okay, so he says this, repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of sin, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. It has things to do with your heart, and with your head, and with your hands. Uh, I, I really like this other definition. This is from Michael Horton. I love how, uh, I think I said, this has like emotional clarity for me. Repentance is the revulsion of the whole soul towards its alliance with sin and death. It's like saying, you know what, I have made friends with my sin, and once I see that, I hate my sin. Uh, a friend told me recently that his, his daughter went to go brush his, her teeth one night. And uh, if you're a parent, maybe you've had this, like, I send a kid to go brush their teeth. And they're back in the same room with me in about 15 seconds and say, I'm done. I've brushed my teeth. I'm ready to go. 
And I thought his, his response was brilliant. It's not what I have done, but I might end up using my wife's a dentist, so I could probably just leave that to her. But it's a great response. He pulled up his phone and pulled up a video of a man taking out his dentures. Now, I mean, no offense to you if you have dentures. I love you. We can be friends. But this for uh, a four-year-old girl who had never seen that before had the very intended effect of saying, do you see what could happen? And so the, the next night when this was my, my friend's daughter went to go brush her teeth, it was about five minutes later. And she said, how's it coming in there? And she's like, I'm about halfway finished. <laughs> right? That's that's what we mean by repentance. We mean a change of mind and seeing your sin for what it really is and where it truly leads you. And that that repentance, that seeing that honestly bears fruit in changed actions. Okay, so uh, that uh, that's the definition. But I do want to kind of before we go, I want to. Uh, I'm not sure where else we would get to talk about this for an extended time in Luke. So I want to I want to take just a minute and be really clear because there are ways to misunderstand repentance, uh, ways that I think we we can easily kind of uh, misapply and wrongly think about it. So I just have two things here of what repentance is not. Okay, so repentance, first, is not doing right things so that you can be saved. And I I want to say this because if you just kind of read through the text and and blaze through it, you say, okay, there is judgment coming. And then they come and they ask John, what do we do? And John says, go share uh, your food. Go make sure you're not taking too much money. Uh, We can read that and say, okay, if I want to escape judgment, I do these right things. And then I get out of judgment. Uh, but here's where we're helped, one, in just knowing the whole Bible and in reading this very carefully. Okay, so in the whole Bible, the Bible is very clear. We are not saved by our works. Kids, that's important to hear. We are not saved by our works. Okay, so Titus chapter 3. This is maybe the easiest proof text if you want to just run there. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. God saves us because of mercy. And even in this passage, in Luke chapter 3, we should carefully distinguish between repentance and the fruits of repentance. That that's, may sound like theologically nitpicky, but it's actually really important. Repentance is a work at the root of our hearts. It's a change of mind that says we will not ally ourselves with our sin. And that bears fruit in our actions. Okay, one, you, you have to have them both. Good works will necessarily flow out from repentance. But repentance is not doing good things to earn your salvation. Okay, the second thing that we should say, repentance is not, is repentance is not optional. Repentance is not optional. Okay, it's not something that only super Christians do. If you want to be allied, to go back to kind of Michael Horton's definition, if you want to be allied with Christ for eternal life, you cannot be allied with your sin that leads to death. Uh, think about a groom coming into premarital counseling who comes and says, I love my wife, so my fiance, so much. I treasure her. I'm looking forward to our wedding day. 
but I really hope this doesn't mess with my other girlfriends. We'd say, you, you, you hold on, and you seem to have misunderstood what marriage is about. Uh, you can't have this and keep this. It doesn't go that way. And the same is true for repentance. Repentance is not optional for the Christian life. Those who say, I want to be allied, to join with, be united to Christ, cannot, will not be allied with their sin. Take side with their sin against what Christ says. And that's because repentance and faith are tied together. You cannot have one without the other. They are two sides of the same coin. And that's, that's true. You see that throughout the Bible. But if you just want, again, a quick place to not make this an hour and a half theology lesson, you can look at Mark 1, 14 and 15. This is from the lips of Jesus in a really similar context uh, of, as Luke 3. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's not a multiple choice question. Repent or believe. He calls us to both. You cannot have one without the other. Repentance and faith go together. And they are the doorway into the Christian life. Okay, that's that's like brief systematic theology of repentance. What we see from the whole Bible. And then this passage as well teaches us a few more things. It lays emphasis in a few places. It's like taking that theology that John is working with and that you can find here, but is spelled out clearly throughout Scripture. It's taking that theology and then it's like putting boots on the ground. So going from like systematic theology to practical theology. What then should I do? Uh, And the first thing that it says about repentance is this. Repentance is pictured in baptism, this is where I wish that I would have preached this last week, just slightly, because last week we actually get to we got to saw this, got to saw this, got to see this, we got to see this pictured. Right, baptism is a picture of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Kyle from the baptistry, as he baptized Jed, even preached a sermonette from the baptistry for us. And one of the things he reminded us and that we want to remind ourselves of is that it's not that baptism in and of itself saves, but it's that it's a picture of what indeed has happened to this person. They have been united with Christ in his death. They have died to their sin. And they've been united to Christ in his life and been raised to walk in new life. That's part of what we're saying every time we baptize somebody. We believe as a church that this person has repented, turned from their sin, and is walking in faith with Christ. And that repentance is pictured every time we plunge someone under the waters. Next, in in verses 10 through 14, we see that repentance bears fruit. Repentance bears fruit, and particularly it says it bears fruit in relationship to other people. Uh, When the crowds and the tax collectors, the soldiers come to ask John, what should they do? He, he directs their attention outwards. He says, how, how is it that you are treating these people? Here's how repentance should bear fruit in your life towards one another. Uh, in, in, our, in our membership interviews, for those who are members of Philadelphia Baptist Church, we ask a series of questions. And one question we ask uh, everyone coming in to this church is, what are some evidences in your life 
that you see the gospel at work. You see that you have a new heart and the Spirit is working to conform you into the image of Christ. What are some of those little things that have changed about your life? And I love, I, one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is membership interviews because we get to hear how people say, what I've seen in my life is that I hated the things of the Lord and now I am running to them. Or like, I enjoy, I look forward to reading my Bible. I find that I, I hate my sin. Those are all good and those are all kind of like vertical evidences, right? Things that you say, my relationship with God has changed because of the way that my heart has changed. I've repented. But we also get answers like, you know, I see how patient God has been with me and I have seen how that has borne fruit and how I treat those around me, how I'm patient with my brothers or sisters. I see that God sent his son selflessly to lay down his life for me and I I see that bearing fruit and that I have started loving others more than myself. The, the danger, the thing to kind of be aware of, what I'm bringing out here, is we need both of those things. Right? Repentance is not just, I have really good thoughts about Jesus now, and I, I go, I have a 15 minute quiet time every morning, but then if I, I go ask your coworkers, uh, have, how have you seen him kind of bear fruit in keeping with repentance? They're like, he is a terrible human being. I'd say that that's, we need to have both of those things. And John here says, Repentance will bear fruit out towards other people. You will see that in your life, not just in your affections for God, but in your treatment of others. And if I, if I could press here a little bit more specifically, each of these examples that John gives actually has to do not just with like general actions, but how we view our possessions in relation to one another. So John tells tax, uh, not tax collectors, he starts with crowds and tells crowds, share. So I tell my kids a lot, just, just share. That's a good bearing fruit kind of response. And, and it's not saying if you have tons of money, then you need to think about giving a little bit of a way. It's if you have two tunics, share with somebody who has none. If you have food, if you have provisions, share with those who do not. Be willing to disadvantage yourself for the help of others. Tax collectors, people who were hated by uh, maybe always hated by lots of people, but in this culture in particular, they were oftentimes Jewish people who would go and oppress other Jewish people. They would skim off the top and charge more taxes and they would take that to themselves. And he says to these tax collectors, stop doing that. Charge what is owed and no more. He tells soldiers, don't blackmail somebody. Don't abuse your authority to take money wrongly. Very practically, if you want to know just from this text, am I bearing fruit and keeping with repentance? One place you can look is at your bank transactions or at your budget and say, am I bearing fruit and keeping with repentance? Last thing on repentance here. Repentance should bear fruit throughout each of our lives. Repentance should bear fruit throughout each of our lives. And I want to stress here, it's throughout our lives. Repentance is not just one big kind of massive feat you do at the beginning of the Christian life. And that means that you're done. You never have to hear this call again. So much of what we do on Sunday mornings is reminding each other again and again and again to repent and believe. That is the message into the Christian life. And it's the message we will need every day of our Christian life. 
It's why Martin Luther, when he nailed his 95 theses to the door, the first one says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Our whole lives, we need to hear this message. And we, each one of us, need to hear it. Right where we are. This is maybe the, some of the good news about repentance, is what Jesus doesn't tell these people to go do. Right when, when the crowds come to Jesus, he doesn't say, if you want to really repent, you should become a rabbi. You should sell everything and you should go do this. There are people who should do that, but he doesn't tell the crowds, become a missionary. He doesn't tell the soldiers or the tax collectors, quit your jobs. Del, Del Ralph Davis, he puts it this way, repentance then is not seen in your doing some extraordinary feat, but in your living ordinary life. In a transformed way. And that's, that's for each of you. Like, you can do that. And so here's, here's the question. The question for you and for I, for me, is what does repentance look like for us? What should it look like for you, homeschooling mom, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? Or you, retiree, living by yourself, what does it look like for you? To bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And if you're unsure, if you're like, I have some ideas, but I just don't know exactly what that does. Do what these people do. They ask John. And John gives them some hands. We would love to help you. Find find a mature Christian and say, I'm in this season of life. Can you help me think about what it looks like for me to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? And if you're here this morning and you would say that you're not a Christian... We are really glad that you are here. We, we do believe that this is a place where you can find good news. And, and I know that the news may not sound so good all the times, but here, here's the point, the main point of this passage. If you want to kind of sum it all together, it is this. Repentance is good news in light of Christ's judgment and ready salvation. Repentance is actually really good news in light of Christ's coming judgment and his ready salvation. A a doctor is not loving when he hides cancer from his patient. And we we feel like we believe that we are not loving if we hide the truth of this passage and of the scripture from you, friend. That one day there is a judge who comes to judge all sin and every sinner. And that includes each one of us here. But the good news is that he has made a way to be right with him. In placing your trust in Christ, in repenting and turning from sin to Christ, you can find life. If that's something that you have questions about today, if you want to know what that looks like, come find me. Find any Christian here in the service. We love talking about this good news. We would have no more pleasure than helping you know how to walk with Christ, to repent and even bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And even now, I want you to, this this is the last question here, but it, it points to that good news. John's message is not just, hey, turn away from all these things. It's turn to something else as well. That's the, the last question. Where do we ultimately find good news? The crowds, they're, they're hearing John point them away from certain things. And they're wondering in their own minds, 
is this the one who is to come? Uh, am I meant to turn towards him? Is he the Christ, the Messiah, where all the promises of God, they come true in him? And John is really quick. I'm not that guy. Not me. But there's one who is coming. And he quickly points us to Jesus, the Christ. And the rest of the book of Luke is going to do that over and over again. But John here says that there is one coming who is almighty and who is most worthy. John looks at Jesus coming and says, I'm not even worthy to undo the strap of his stinky sandal. And one day, all of creation, we are told that everyone will actually confess that to be true. Around the throne, all of God's people will say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He is the one who is worthy of everything. Jesus is the one who doesn't just like bring symbols of repentance like what John does and like what we do in baptism. Those are wonderful symbols of repentance, but Jesus is the one who actually gives and baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is the one who actually gives that to us. He fulfills the promise of Ezekiel 36. He gives a new heart and puts a new spirit within you. He can remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And he will put his spirit within you and cause you to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. And Jesus finally doesn't just proclaim judgment like John does. Jesus is himself the judge. He will with perfect clarity with exact precision, separate one day wheat from chaff. The wheat to be gathered into his barn, to enjoy life with him, belonging to him, and the chaff be burned with unquenchable fire. And so we end again with good news of Jesus Christ, but good news with a bite. Judgment is coming, and that message is true, it is dire, and it is urgent. Uh, It is the necessary bad news before the good news. And even at the end of this passage, John John shows us proclaiming the good news. Doesn't mean that your life always looks like good news kind of life, right? He ends up in prison because he has proclaimed the message of repentance to Herod, who did not want to hear it, and who eventually would have him beheaded. But the ultimate, the the news of bad news of judgment, it ultimately points us and is really meant to lead us to the best news of salvation being made ready for those who repent and trust in Christ. The judge of all the earth has stepped down into the place of the judge and the bad news of judgment that is due to all of us. He himself felt in his flesh as he died For those who would repent and turn to him in faith. And what Isaiah promised and John preached is now surely true for all of those. Even for you, if you will repent and believe in him. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Let's pray and ask him that we would turn to him.
Lord, we praise you for your good news. And we thank you, God, for your kindness in bringing us to repentance, in showing us the truth of where our lives in our sin really do lead us. And so would you help us to turn from that, to not, uh, to be revolted by our sin and to love and cling to Christ who saves us from it. And we pray, I pray for those who have turned to you, that you would help us, that we would bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And we long for the day, Lord, when you will gather us into your barn. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.